I, I want to, I, I want to sort of lay a foundation here where we can explore this because for many Christians, they, they think of doubt as a really bad and negative thing. I actually want to say that doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt can actually be a positive thing. It's been in those moments of doubt when I've gone and researched and discovered things that I've come back and had those doubts dealt with that I've actually strengthened my faith. The opposite of doubt is not faith, as we'll see, hopefully, as we go through this. So doubt is not incompatible with Christianity at all. If you're a Christian and you have doubts, that just means God wants you to be able to develop good reasons to have stronger faith. That's all that means. It, it's, it's in fact, the, the reason that you doubt is because we all intuitively crave for truth. We, none of us want to be duped. We, we want to know the truth. And here's, here's the best reason to believe any claim. Because it's true. The best reason to believe anything is because it's true. <laughs> now you might think, well that makes sense. But let me tell you that there are, there are people who believe certain things and they don't ask that question, is it true? And we'll come to that in a moment. You might hear me say that and go, yeah, but how do you know if something's true? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are certain tests of truth. Someone makes a claim, you can actually test this claim. Here's the first thing. Does it comport or agree with reality? Does it line up with reality? If someone makes a claim that, you know, there's a... a the, the, did you see the pastor's new red Ferrari that he's driving lately? Yeah, it's out in the church car park right now. It's bright red, it's got the little things on it and it's got the thing in it and it's really... Well, that's a claim that you, all you have to do is very simple. Does it comport with reality? And let me tell you, it way does not. <laughs> and you can just check out reality by just having a look in the car park and going, there's no red Ferrari there. So it doesn't pass that test straight up. Secondly, is it, is it testable? Um... Someone could make a claim as, I think, it was the, I think it was called Night Shift or something like that when Bruce Willis got his break on television as a private detective and some rich lady had bought the private detective agency, this show where he taught her how to break into a house and the way he taught her to do it was by singing the song Hokey Pokey and twirling around and around. And while she was doing that, he actually was using his little, little things here on the door. And he said, right, check the door. And she just opened. She said, oh, it works. Um, she probably wants to do a little bit more testing on that theory. And that, this is one of the ways we can determine whether something's true or not. We can test the claim. Test the claim. Is it, can it be verified? So, for example, if someone said... In 1953, Princess Elizabeth was coronated Queen of it was the Empire then, I believe. You could easily check that from history. And I believe it was indeed 1953 when that happened. You can check that. It's verifiable. That's a claim that's testable. Thirdly, 
is there consistent evidence supporting it? So is there consistent evidence supporting it? This is a way you can test a truth claim. And fourthly, does it do attempts to falsify it, that is prove it to be wrong, do they fail? And can you prove it to be wrong? Like for example, if someone said, there is, did you hear that astronomers have discovered a pink teapot orbiting Mars? You go, no way, pink teapot orbiting Mars. Yep, it is. And so you jump on your telescope and you look at Mars and you come back to the person and say, I couldn't see a pink teapot orbiting Mars. I checked it out. I looked and I, there was no pink teapot orbiting Mars. And the person says to you, ah, yes, it's shy of telescopes. Whenever it sees a telescope, it goes around the other side of Mars. So here's the question. If that's, can you disprove that claim? You can't actually disprove it. Therefore, because you can't disprove it, you can't prove it to be true either. Therefore, you probably shouldn't believe it. So when we talk about a claim that's able to be proven to be false, it's called falsifying. Falsifying the idea. It doesn't mean the idea is false. It means that if it was false, you could show it to be false. And if, it, if something is true, it can be shown to be false if it is false. So there's four ways to test the truth. Now, some people think, well, I'm sceptical about God, the Bible, Christianity. And I would, I would go, welcome, come on in. There's room for one more sceptic. I've got a whole church full of sceptics. I'm sceptical of a whole bunch of stuff. And, and probably that would meet with a great deal of surprise from someone because they're used to thinking in terms of scepticism and this next word being the same. And it's the word cynicism. But there is a huge difference between scepticism, which is, I won't believe just anything. I'll only believe it if there's good reason to believe it. That's a sceptic. I'm one of them. I'm a sceptic. I'm, sceptic I'm sceptical about God, the Bible, and Christianity. I'm not just going to believe it because someone told me. I want to know there are good reasons to believe it. And for me, I think there are. A cynic is someone who says, I won't believe. I just won't believe. I don't care what evidence you give me. I'm not going to believe. That's a cynic. Really, a cynic is not a doubter. Well, they kind of are, but they're a dishonest doubter. I want to be a somewhat honest doubter. Are there any honest doubters here today? Let's be honest. In other words, I'm honest to say I won't believe until I've got good evidence to believe. And if you give me the good evidence, I'll change my mind. That's an honest doubter. But a cynic is someone who says, there is no way, there's nothing you can say that will change my mind. I'll never be convinced because... Just there's nothing that could ever convince me otherwise. That's cynicism, not scepticism. Now, when pressed, and we ask people, why do they believe what they believe? So, for example, someone says, I'm an atheist. And this is what I have found. I'll, I might ask them, 
why is it that you're an atheist? And they may say, well, prove to me there's a God. Can you see what they've just done? Oh, hang on a minute. I asked you the question. <laughs> why are you an atheist? Yeah, well, prove to me there's a God. Now, hang on a minute. Give me the reasons for your atheism. I'll, I'll be straight up. I, I haven't heard any. I've heard what people have thought were reasons, and they weren't reasons at all. They were either opinions or ideas they hold. They're not reasons. So most people have never, I, I suspect, have never really thought through why they believe what they believe. So what, what are the reasons that most people will believe something? We all believe something. It's one of the, <clears throat> the weirdest things when someone says, I, I think personal beliefs should be kept out of the political arena. Really, is that your personal belief? Yep, that's my... Wait a minute. <laughs> that is a personal belief. You can't keep your... So how do people come to these any belief that they hold well perhaps they hold it because it's popular everyone believes it um, they, they might hold a belief that um, you know um, what's, a, what's a belief that some people hold I'm thinking on the run here I was going to say some people believe Justin Bieber can sing uh, but uh, there's, there's all sort of there's all sorts of beliefs that people hold to <laughs> <laughs> it's a, and so they hold it because it's a popular view. But you know, truth doesn't become true because a whole bunch of people believe it. It's not democratic. So in other words, you, you can't vote on whether something's true or not. You can have a majority of one if it's true. <laughs> and it will be true even if the whole world says it isn't. So that's just the way truth tends to work. Secondly, some people will believe something because a high-profile person or a really intelligent person holds it. It's, this is called the professor's ploy. And when people don't have a good argument for something, they'll often quote some really brainy person. Well, Richard Dawkins believes it. Oh, my apologies. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I will, I will apologize. I'll bow and apologize. I didn't realize that was your, your slam dunk argument there. <laughs> so the professor's ploy is a trick people use, but people do it all the time. Why do they believe something? Well, because some brainy person said it, so it must be true. The issue isn't who said it. The issue is why do they say it? Okay, Richard Dawkins believes that there is no God, but he believes that aliens created the universe. That is actually what he believes. Why, why aliens and why not God? And there's, I think there's all sorts of reasons there. But the issue is why does someone believe it? And then there's this reason. These aren't all the reasons why people believe what they believe. But why is it that some people have doubts and... They believe certain things because it's morally convenient to do so. For some people, the idea that God, the Bible and Christianity is true is uncomfortable to them because it's going to cramp their lifestyle. <laughs> Therefore, it better not be true. And that's what they'll believe. 
it's morally inconvenient to do so. So the issue is not whether you like it. The issue is whether it's true or not. That's the issue. Okay, now this, this might surprise you. But the Bible actually invites, if not welcomes, doubters. I have a um, communion this morning. Sean shared that, that story that perhaps is famous about doubt. You know, um, you could always tell Thomas among the disciples. If you, if you were back at the first century following the 12 disciples, someone would say something and there'd come a voice from somewhere in the 12 disciples and it would be this, oh, I doubt that. You know, you'd know that was Thomas. That was Thomas. And so uh, that was meant to be funny. It was certainly funny when I said it to myself. Anyway, so here we, we, we come to this famous passage. And this is where I want you to see something that's happening. Because you may have doubts. You may have doubts about God, the Bible, Christianity, and therefore church. This is taken from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So this is a resurrection appearance of Jesus, and Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, the risen Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Eight days later, God, you know, I read that this morning, I thought, eight days later, what kind of discussions went on for eight days among these guys? Thomas, don't be stupid. Well, I tell, I'm not going to believe until I've got good reason. Oh, Thomas, stop it. <laughs> Have more faith, Thomas. <laughs> Read more Josh McDowell books, Thomas. You know, Come on, Thomas, get with the program. He wouldn't believe. And I suspect there are probably many people even here today who are like Thomas. And I want you to see in a moment that Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for doubting. I'll show you this. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, <laughs> This is awesome. Here's these these uh, 10, what do we got, 10, 11 disciples, and they're having some kind of, you know, the eight-day discussion still going on, and Jesus just appears in the room. Peace. And then he just zeroes in on Thomas. Thomas, hi. <laughs> and then without, get this, without knowing what Thomas had said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now I wondered, is that the word doubt? Disbelief, so I actually, I, I'm learning 
Greek, and so I went to the Greek text, and it's the word apistos. A, which negates, like atheism. Apistos means to disbelieve. It's not to doubt, it's to disbelieve. And so Jesus says to Thomas, now you've got reasons to believe. So believe. And here's the problem I think some of you may have, particularly with those friends that you're talking with. You'll give them good reasons to believe the claims of the Bible and they still won't believe. That's a different matter. That kind of gets into the cynicism thing. But here's Jesus saying to Thomas, believe. Notice this. Thomas answered him, and Sean brought this out, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's me. I've never seen the physical Jesus. I believe in him. I have good reason, I believe, to believe in him. Now Jesus did, this is, this is the thing I think is really reassuring for those people that go, look, I don't want to just get sucked into this. I don't become a fanatic like you guys. I'm not, I'm not gullible. I don't want to be naive. And I'll go, good on you. I don't either. But notice what Jesus is saying and notice what John is saying about Jesus. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples which are not written in this book. But why is this book written? And John tells us, but these things are written so that you may believe. I want you to just ponder that for a moment. The things of the Bible are written to give you reasons to believe. The things of the Bible aren't written to tell you off for not believing and you just should have more faith and suck it up, princess. That's the, I don't know where that is in the Bible, but it's not there. I tell you. <laughs> the things of the Bible are written, as John says, so that you'll have good reasons to believe. But are writ, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And here's where belief becomes this other word, conviction. You see, you might, you might claim to have a belief, but it doesn't affect the decisions you make, the choices you make. It doesn't affect your values. It doesn't affect your priorities. Can I say that it's probably not a belief. It's just a notion. And there are lots of notional Christians. They go, oh yeah, Jesus, God, Bible, tick, Trinity, tick. Died on the cross, Easter eggs, yep, tick, got it all. But this kind of belief, John says, leads to life in his name. And when John says that, he's already told us in John 3.16 what kind of life he means. Eternal life, beyond the grave type of life. In other words, this might just be a notion you hold, but if you get this and it becomes a belief that is transformed into a conviction, you will, and I hope you never have to, you will take a bullet for it. 
or to put it in first century language, as Sean described very tastefully, you will take three nails for it. As many of the original disciples did. And they didn't back down. Why didn't they back down? Because it was a belief. In the biblical sense, a belief is something that you have given your life to. It is a conviction. And it is something that the Bible says transforms your whole life. It overhauls your whole value system. So here's the deal. Jesus doesn't tell Thomas off for doubting. He says, Thomas, imagine you and I probably would have gone, Thomas, there's my hand, but you ain't touching it. You didn't believe. I'm not going to reward your disbelief. He didn't say that. Thomas, you want evidence? Here's the evidence. Can I say right now, there are people who go, I won't believe unless I have evidence. And I'm not going to tell you off. I'm not going to scold you. I'm going to go, okay, let's, let's do some business, shall we? And here's how business looks. Business looks like this. You, right now, where you are, eyes open, hands, arms folded, looking at me like, oh, I'm not even buying. That's okay, I don't care. But here's what business looks like. On the inside, in your mind, you go, God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. God, if you're real, show me that you're real. God, if you're real, do something in my life that I cannot doubt. That's what I call business. You do that kind of business <clears throat> and come and let me know how that's going for you in about a week or two. I could share story after story after story where people have done just that. In fact, I mentioned fleetingly Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was a young man who was raised by a violent alcoholic dad. That's an important point because one of the reasons why some people believe certain things, especially their doubts, is for emotional reasons. They have a history of abuse, particularly by a dad, and it causes them to doubt God. That was Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell grew up in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, and, and his alcoholic dad, who used to abuse him, and eventually... Eventually, there's, there's the tragedy of sexual abuse by a friend of the family that Josh went through, almost with his parents' approval as a young boy from the age of six. He grew up bitter. He grew up angry. He went to university and saw Christians there, and he mocked them in the lunchroom, publicly mocked them. And then one of them came over and said, you know what? We'll receive your mocking and you can do whatever you want to us if you can prove that we're wrong. And he said, all right, how do I do that? He said, it's quite easy. Just prove that Jesus Christ did not rise again from the dead. And Josh McDowell said, you're on. He said, and he thought, this should be easy. Six months later, after investigating all of the historical data in the Bible, not in the Bible... Josh McDowell, who had flown to London to look at some original documents, was in a library where he had just read some of the earliest accounts of eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. And in this public library, Josh McDowell looked up and said in a very loud voice, It's all true. It's all true. The librarian came over and asked him to be quiet. 
And Josh McDowell returned to the United States, now completely doubting his doubts. He didn't know what to believe anymore because he had just been given irrefutable evidence to the foundation of Christianity. And Josh McDowell became a Christian and he wrote several books, but one of them, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, where he gives all the reasons that people doubt and how they can be dealt with. I think of someone like Hugh Ross, who we'll have here at Easter. Hugh Ross, one of the most gifted intellectual scientific minds on the planet. He's listed on the superstarsofscience.com website as one of the greatest scientists of all time. He's looking at what the cosmos is telling him. He's in a motel room. He pulls out a drawer in his motel room and in that motel room there's a Gideon's Bible. He just picks up the Gideon Bible. He doesn't know how to read a Bible. So how do you read any book? You just start at the start. And he reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, and he reads through it and he goes, as an astronomer, that is exactly what I see. And he did business with God. The business that I just described to you. He said, God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. Show me yourself. I want to know if you're real. And Hugh Ross met with God and became a Christian. Over the next three weeks, we're going to deal with these key areas of doubt. Next week, I doubt God. Week after that, I doubt the Bible. Next week after that, I doubt Christianity. I invite you to come back, but I'm not the only one inviting you. Jesus invites you as well. He not only invites doubt as he welcomes you, he welcomes you to come and investigate his claims. And you're going to see that the Bible invites people's doubts. It invites people to come and test its claims. 